Hi, well, what's up, Central? It's good to see you here this morning. I want to give a special shout out to those of you joining us online as well. Uh, we're going to be following along with some notes here in the room. You can find these online as well. Uh, but let's give it up for those joining us online today. We're glad that you're with us. If you're ever in the Bay, come check us out in the flesh. That would be amazing. Well, November 4th, 2013 was one of the best days of our life and one of the most trying days of our life. Um, our second child, Drake Timothy, was born. And uh, we went to the hospital. We've been, you know, you, if you've had a child, you know the buildup to that. And uh, we, we go to the hospital. My wife is a champion. She, she delivers Drake Timothy. Uh, and uh, he's here. And we are excited. And, and family is en route to the hospital. Text messages of celebration and congratulations are flying around. And then this great moment of celebration gets punched in the face with trepidation as the doctor tells us that Drake has a heart condition and they're not sure that he's going to live. And I think if we're honest today, I think we could say that some things take place in life that just stink, to put it lightly. And, and the title of today's message is, The Struggle is Real. And while the struggle is real, so is this promise in Romans 8, 28. Help me out with the yellow words. It says, and we know that in all, th- in all things, right? I jumped ahead, sorry. That- Let's go back. Let's try this again. The yellow words, help me out. And we know that in all things. <laughs> I'm warming up this morning. That hour of sleep got me. Uh, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, all things, all things work together for good. And we know that God works all things together for our good. But I think if, if you're like me, sometimes in those moments when we feel like life is gutting us in the process, we can know that cognitively, but somehow it's hard for us to take hold of that reality in our hearts and to, to stand on that, that promise that all things are going to work together for their good. And so, so how do we experience all things working together for good in the midst of the struggles of, of reality. And uh, so this new series uh, that we're in, All the Things, kind of shifted directions. And basically because uh, I, I see you guys fill out prayer cards, and we pray for those here in the room. And, and I know kind of some things going on in your life. And I know that some of you, man, are, are in the midst of it. You're in the midst of all the things, all the things that are challenging, all the things that are a real struggle. And, uh, and, and so I wanted to just take this series, take this message in particularly, and think, man, if I could just sit down with coffee and, and have this conversation uh, I, I would probably say something along these lines that you're going to hear here today. Uh, because we all experience challenge. We all experience grief. We, the struggle is very real from job loss to uh, losing loved ones to just being ambushed by life circumstances that we don't see coming. And so, so how do we experience uh, God working all things together for good in the midst of, of this struggle? Well, the good news is that the Bible is painfully authentic and this guy named Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. It says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the providence of Asia. He's saying, you know what, man, we, we've experienced some hard things. And I don't want to sugarcoat this. I'm not just going to brush this under the rug. I want you guys to be informed about this, that the struggle's real. He says, we were under great pressure beyond, beyond our ability to endure 
so that we despaired of life itself. He's like, hey, the struggle is so real. Like, like it was beyond us. Uh, sometimes when we're going through seasons, uh, well-intentioned people will say, God's not going to give you anything more than you can handle. And their intentions are real, but that's not necessarily a biblical statement because Paul's saying we experienced something that was, it was beyond us. Like, I didn't even think I had the ability to endure. It was, yeah, we despaired of life itself. It says, indeed, we, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so Paul kind of teases this out logically, and he goes to worst case scenario. Hey, even if this circumstance, even if this situation takes my life, I'm putting my hope in something bigger than me. So that even if I die, I'm putting my hope in this God that raises the dead. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He, check this out. We, help me say this together. He has delivered us from such a deadly apparel. He will deliver us again. And on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. That's good news right there. And some of you, you're here today and you're in the midst of a, a trying season, and we acknowledge that. Uh, some of you are, are going to be moving into a trying season in the future, and you just got to hang on to this promise, okay? He has delivered us. He will deliver us. He will continue to deliver us again. As you pray for us, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted and answers to the prayers of many. I had this friend tell me one time, he said, Tim, hey, you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into one. And you're like, Tim, you're the new guy, like nine weeks in. Why don't you be more positive? I'm positive. You are in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into one. That's life, right? That's life. And the Bible uh, makes this audacious promise that, that there's coming a day when we're not going to experience that cycle anymore. Uh, but from that point to this point, how, how do we figure this out? And a logical question would be, hey, why do we experience that cycle, the struggle on repeat if God's in control, right? Like, like if God is a good God, why do we experience this cycle on repeat? And, and the short answer, it's not going to really help you if you're in the middle of it right now, but the short answer, the honest answer, is that we live in a fallen world. Uh, God didn't create the world in a fallen state. God didn't intend for it to be this way. He created it in like a perfect state. And then the, the men and women like us, like we got free will, right? And we make our own choices and we do dumb stuff sometimes, don't we? And the first man, first woman, Adam and Eve, they, they made a dumb choice, they rebelled against what God asked them to do, and, and therefore sin entered to the world. And, and because of that moment, because of sin entering the world, the world's a broken place. The world we live in is broken. Our bodies are broken. Relationships are broken. It, it's spring training 2019. I'm just saying, Major League Baseball is broken. They're still allowing Cubs and Dodgers fans to, to participate. Dodgers, they're still part of Major League Baseball. It's broken. It's broken. I don't understand it. We live in a broken world where we can lose an hour of sleep. That's broken. That's broken. And so the logical question is, well, if God's so good, why didn't he do something? Why doesn't he do something about this brokenness around us? And I would just submit to you that I believe he did. The Bible, I believe, is this redemptive story of God restoring order, restoring things back to its original form, restoring things back to its perfect condition, restoring the human race. It's this, this, this narrative of restoration. And at the climax of this story, God steps in and he does the unthinkable for you and for me. He sends his son as a sacrifice for you and me to restore order, to restore relationship. 
And not only does he give his son as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for all of our junk, but, but he, he, he experiences resurrection power and he dispenses his Holy Spirit out to say, man, this is a restoration process. And the Bible makes this audacious claim at the end of the Bible in this book called Revelation. And we're going to talk about it next week. But it says, it says behold, I'm making all things new. All things. A place where there's no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. All things restored to that perfect order. And so if we were to reverse engineer from that passage in Revelation back to this moment right here, right now at Central Christian Church in 2019, how do we deal with all the things that we experience in this life? Because we know that one day's coming. It's going to be perfect. All things are going to be restored. Perfect paradise-like state. Right now, the reality is we're in a fallen state. We're in a broken, broken state. So we're going to work to reverse engineer that and experience and learn some stages that uh, will help get us through. So we acknowledge the struggle is real. We're not going to undermine that. We're not going to sweep that under the rug. The struggle is real. But what does the Bible have to say about surviving life's worst moments and marching through it? There's this pastor in Southern California. His name's Rick Warren. Uh, you probably have heard of him. He pastors a great church called Saddleback Church. He wrote a great book called Purpose Driven Life. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. If you have read it, read it again. It's a great book. Uh, but Rick Warren, this great, great pastor, I have so much respect for him. Uh, he has a son, he, Matthew, and in April of 2013, Pastor Rick's son, Matthew, took his own life and committed suicide. And uh, I can't think of anything more gutting uh, than, than that reality. Um, and in the aftermath of that, Pastor Rick kind of came up with this framework, six stages, uh, while experiencing grief. It's, it's fascinating. You can go get more information online. But I'm going to use his framework, those six stages, and fill in with my own content to talk to you about the stages of grief that, that we experience, the stages uh, that whenever life throws its worst our way, here's what you can kind of anticipate. So, so maybe you're in the middle of it right now. And you can say, man, I identify with that. I identify with this. Maybe your things are roses. You're just checking out church. You're like, holy smokes, these people are talking about depressing crap today. Yes, we are. And I'm sorry for that. Come back next week. It's going to be, I promise it's going to get better. Keep coming. It's going to be better. Uh, but but I, I can guarantee, like, you, you'll probably experience this at some point in your life. Because you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, you're about to go into one. So this is kind of going to provide some, some framework. And so the six stages, if you've got to fill in the blanks, the first stage is this. It's shock. Shock. It's when our world is, is falling apart. This could be big. This could be small. Shock is a human emotion. God doesn't actually experience shock, but we certainly do. And uh, one thing that's true about shock is that it's disorienting. It's like it's blindsiding. And so we don't really know which way is up, which way is down. We, we're in a state of, uh, of shock. And uh, whenever we got the news about Drake, we were in a state of shock. Whenever I got my first PG&E bill here in California, I was in a state of shock. Very different. Degrees, very different realities, but nevertheless, the same was true. I experienced shock, and here's what's true about shock. You, the last person you should take advice from in that moment is you. Don't trust yourself. You're disoriented. When I got my PG&E bill, this is a confession. I was so distraught. I was in a state of shock. I was mad, actually, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy some firewood. I'm not using PG&E anymore. I'm a, we're going to have a fire in our house. Bad advice. <laughs> I paid more for firewood than I did my PG&E bill. But I'm a stubborn man. And on principle, I'm like, I'm not doing that again. My kids are like playing videos with mittens on. I'm like, it's cold in our house. But there's a principle here. Bad choice. Bad choice. When you're in a state of shock, uh, don't, take your, don't take your own advice. Uh, it's essential when you're in a state of shock to apply this biblical principle um, 
We're not going to feel, here's the deal, with all these applications, you're not going to feel like it, but you have to make a choice, you have to do it. The principle is this, in the state of shock, is you've got to run to God, run to God's people. Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 9 through 10 says this, two are better, I'm, I'm getting ahead, sorry, this is coffee, I promised. Uh, here, help me out with the yellow words, two are better, they're better than one, uh, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them fall down, one, one can help the other one up, but... Pity. Pity the one who falls down and doesn't have anyone to help them up. When you're in a state of shock, man, we need some people around us that, that can help point us in the right direction to say, hey, you know what? Here's what I think the best next step is. Tim, you know what? It's a PG&E bill. Let me just tell you, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But don't go buy firewood because that's a wrong move right now. You know what I mean? We need some people around us to help us out. When you're going through life's worst, you're not going to feel like it, but you've got to choose it. Because the only way we get through life's worst situations, worst scenarios, is together. Uh, Winston Churchill said this. He said, if you're going through hell, you got to keep on going, right? In other words, don't, you, we, can, we can move forward through the pain together. Or we can get lost in the pain. And when you're in a state of shock, you need some people to come alongside you. We're better together. We're going to march through this. We got your back. Uh, there's a story of this man in Florida. He was working on his motorcycle outside, and uh, he had the rear tire up on jacks, and he was uh, trying to just, you know, fine-tune it get, it, get it revved up, get it rolling. This was in... Um, 2003, this uh, newspaper article came out with this story. And, uh, and so the tire's up on jacks, and, and he sits on it to, to make sure it's sounding good, trying to listen. Well, the jack breaks, and he goes flying through a pane glass window right in front of him, right? And so he's all cut up, bikes on the floor. His wife hears this commotion, comes in. What's going on? Well, there's her husband on the floor, the motorcycle in the living room. And he's bleeding all over the place. She calls 911. And uh, the paramedics come. They get him on the stretcher. There's a, a huge hill outside. So they're navigating these stairs, getting him up to the ambulance, get him loaded into the ambulance, goes to the hospital. The wife goes back in and uh, is cleaning up a mess. The, the motorcycle had spilled some gas. So she's wiping it up. And she throws the, the, the toilet paper in the, in, the, in the toilet. And she goes off to the, the hospital to check on her her husband. Her husband's getting stitched up and everything's okay. They give him some pain meds. Hey, you're going home. And uh, so he, they go back home. She gets her husband home and uh, the, the wife is cleaning up this mess and cleaning up uh, what, what her husband did driving through this pane of glass. And the husband uh, goes to sit on the toilet, relieve himself, gather his thoughts and smoke a cigarette. Some of you know where I'm going. And, uh, and so he's smoking a cigarette, right? And he throws the, the cigarette in the toilet and Boom! He goes one way, his trousers go another way, experiences burns on his booty, and the, he, the wife's like, what's going on? Calls the ambulance, the same ambulance, same paramedics, come back! And they, they get him loaded on the stretch, like, oh my gosh, this has never happened. They're, they're wheeling him out up the stairs, they're like, tell me what, what's going on, what happened? They explain the story to the paramedics, they start laughing, and spill this guy out of the stretcher, and he breaks his wrist in the process. You talk about a bad day. Like that's, that's a bad day. A state of shock. And that's why we got to apply Ecclesiastes 4. But pity the man who gets his booty blown off, sitting on a toilet and has no one there to help him up. When we're in this stage of shock, we got to remember we're disoriented. Don't take your own advice. Surround yourself with people now. So whenever that happens, there's some people there to journey that with you. If, you. if you wait till then, it's too late. So choose now some good friends that can help point you in the right direction when you're in that state of shock. And when it happens, you're not going to feel like it. You're not going to feel like it. But remember this, you've got to choose it. You've got to run to God. Run to God's people because we're better 
together. And that's the only way we get through life's darkest seasons. The second stage is this. It's sorrow. Sorrow. Uh, second fill in the blank is sorrow. It's when our heart is breaking. Now we get into an emotion that, that God actually does feel. Uh, he does feel sorrow. He does feel grief. Um, the shortest verse in the Bible, uh, John eleven thirty five, says, Jesus wept, right? If you memorize that, Jesus wept, you just memorized a verse today. Congratulations, gold star for you. Uh, that's awesome. Jesus wept. And I think sometimes it's okay for us to, to, to realize, you know what? I feel grief, and that, that's okay. I'm going I'm to cry, and that's okay. And my cousin told me, Tim, if you don't cry a little bit, your head's going to get too big. And so you got to let some of that pressure out. Um, and so Jesus is overwhelmed to the death of his friend, Lazarus, and he, he, he weeps. Isaiah 53, 3 says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. That's interesting. It's interesting to me. Uh, Jesus goes to the cross at the age of 33. He came to pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin, for all the junk we would ever do. And sometimes I question, why 33? You know, why, why not tap out sooner? And I think one of the reasons is so he could empathize with you, with me, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of pain, in the midst of anguish, so that he could be exposed to a lot more life in 33 years than just tapping out at the age of 15 or whatever that might be. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 reads this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. He, he's saying, you know what, whenever you're going through that, Dan, whenever you're going through that, Jesus can say, yep, I know, I've been there, I, I've experienced that. Sherry, hey, when you're going through, man, oh my gosh, I've been there, I know what you're going through. He, he's, he's experienced life to such a degree that he can be your best friend, that he can be adequate to say, you know what, I've experienced that too, and I'm, let me help you out, here's your next step. He's come out on the other side of the pain that we are often experiencing. But there can be a dangerous place with sorrow. Uh, there, there can be a dangerous place. Whenever we allow grief to just set in and allow it to, to just overwhelm us, uh, it can be a very dangerous, dangerous place. And you know when that shift is there, whenever you're just, you're just paralyzed by the grief at this point. And that's where, man, you gotta have some friends speaking in and say, hey, I think this is, we might need to go talk to somebody now. Like this is getting to a point of, we got to figure this out. As the psalmist said this in Psalm 61, 1 through 2. I've been chewing on this lately, and I think it's profound. It says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call out to you. Check this out. When my heart is overwhelmed. My heart's overwhelmed at this point. It's beyond grief. I'm overwhelmed. This is paralyzing me now. When I'm overwhelmed with grief, lead me to a rock. That's higher than me. Lead me to a rock that's higher than I. We got to find some solid ground to anchor into in the midst of life's storms. We got to find some solid ground to lock into. And how do we do this? Well, well, David was a worshiper, right? He, he wrote the great hymnal of the Bible, all the Psalms. And uh, in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, David says, when, when I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to go to you. You're the rock that's higher than I. And here's the principle. Here's, here's what you got to do in this stage. You're not going to feel like it, but you got to choose it. Got to choose to worship. I remember whenever everything was going on with Drake, and I'll be honest, like I was a little bit mad at God. I was like, God, I'm trying to serve you. My wife's been faithful. Like, like oh my gosh, what's going on with our kids? And, uh, and I just remember grief in that season and really some anger, resentment a little bit towards God. 
And, uh, and we would be at the hospital, I mean, weeks and weeks, and we would leave the hospital for a little bit to go take a shower so we didn't stinketh in the hospital uh, and, and kind of get a few hours of sleep. Then we'd go back, and I remember my wife telling me, Tiffany, she was like, you know what, Tim? She's like, I just feel like we've got to worship. And I'll be honest, I didn't, this, is not, this is not a pastoral moment for me. I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel like listening to worship music, much less singing worship music. But she said, you know what, Tim, we just got to worship God because he's not because of this situation, but because he's, he's worthy. And I remember driving to the hospital, and we'd be crying out to God, tears streaming down our face, and Oceans was, was a new song that had just come out. And, and we'd be singing these words as declarations to God, but also declarations to ourselves: uh, Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, You've never failed. You won't start now. So I will call on your name and keep my eyes above the waves, above the situations that I'm facing. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. So spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. And I'm just saying, life's worst moments have a way of expanding our borders of trust. Like Paul said, we we were... We are pressed beyond our ability to endure. So we despise of life itself. But this happens. We wouldn't rely on our own strength, but on God who raises the dead. The worst seasons of life have a way of expanding our borders on trust. And it says, let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. I didn't feel like it. We weren't sure, like, if Drake was going to make it. Odds weren't in our favor at this time. But we would just worship, not because of our situation, but because of who he is and he's worthy. And I'm just telling you, you're not going to feel like it, but you need a solid place to anchor into. And in those moments of pain, extreme grief, God would provide a soft place for our pain to land. He would meet with us in a profound way that, I'm just saying, you're not going to feel like it, but you can't experience it. We remember that. Reality, whenever we're in the middle of life's worst situation, we need to remember uh, that this is merely an episode and not, not the end. Uh, I had this, uh, well, yeah, so we'll, we'll move on. You get it. Uh, so lead me to the rock that's higher than I. The application in the midst of sorrow is worship. The third is, is struggle. This is when we don't understand. This is when we start asking this three-letter word over and over, Why? Why this? Why this? Why that? What about this? What if I would have done this? What about this? Why this? And, uh, and Jesus understands that struggle too. It says this in, in Matthew twenty seven forty six. It says, my God, my God, why? I mean, why? Why this? He's asked the same question. Uh, this isn't going to help you much, but when you're in the middle of it, we need to remember that, that, that God is outside of time. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. And we're just in this middle of this scenario. Uh, I had a friend tell me one time, he said, Tim, uh, if you look at a big painting, right, this beautiful piece of art, uh, sometimes if you just focus in this bottom right corner, it's just like all one color. It's all gray. It's all green. It's, it's, It's just one color. He said, but Tim, what if you zoomed out? He's like, then you could see this big picture, this big painting. It's beautiful. And God sees that. Sometimes in the midst of the episodes, in the midst of seasons of life, we just focus right here, right here. Uh, and we don't see the big picture. Um, it kind of reminds me of this. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show 24. Uh, it's like, uh, you might see it on Netflix. It's 24. It's a, a guy by the name of, of Jack Bauer um, who, who's in this episode of 24. When I was in college, uh, we would 
go on road trips. We played basketball, and uh, I played basketball, and we would go on long road trips, and there's, uh, I had some friends that had these round circular things called DVDs. Uh, we would watch these things called DVDs. We didn't have Netflix at the time, uh, so we couldn't stream stuff, but we had these hard discs, and uh, he was like, hey, I got, you got to check out this show. I got all six seasons of this show, 24. It's awesome. And I was like, oh, wow, I, you really like it. You're into it. I guess I'll check it out. And so uh, I pop in this, this hard circle thing, D- DVD, and I start watching this show, 24. And I'm one episode in, and it, it's like a cliffhanger. My heart is pounding out of my chest. And I'm not sure if Jack Bauer is going to make it or the world might melt right here, right now. And the premise is everything takes place in a 24-hour period of time. And so I'm like, season two, I got to keep watching. It's a cliffhanger. I got to watch the next one. And then I'm watching the third one. And it, same thing, 24, at 24-hour period of time, Jack Bauer might not make it. The world might explode. It's crazy. If you've never seen it, you got to check it out. And I'm like, holy smokes, this show is amazing. And I'm like, heart's pumping out of my chest. <laughs> like, give me the next DVD. Give me the next DVD. And then I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> He's got six seasons. And I'm freaking out over episode three of season one. I know he makes it, right? Here's the principle. Life's like that. Sometimes you're in the middle of an episode. And you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I don't see a way out. Well, here, get this. God's got this, this, this case, several more seasons for you to go. You're going to get through. You're going to make it. Your heart might be pounding out of your chest. The world might feel like it's about to explode. You might feel like you're on a cliffhanger. More episodes to come. We need to remember that reality. In the middle of life's worst seasons, we need to remember that this is merely an, an episode. This is merely a season of life, and you are going to make it. There's more to come. There's more to come. You're going to make it. He has delivered you. He will deliver you. He will continue to deliver you. Now let's uh, turn the page in our, in our notes, and this is where we kind of start to turn a corner uh, as well in that uh, we, we, the, we, these bad things can actually turn into to some good moments. And the fourth stage is this, surrender. That's a tough word. Um, surrender, this is how we experience peace. And uh, so, so this is when we stop fighting the bad days. This is when we stop ruminating on the problem. This is when we stop racking our brains trying to figure out why, 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 why this happened. Uh, ruminating is an interesting word. Psychologists have actually found um, that ruminating is, causes a, a large problem. This is why a lot of people lead to depression in the midst of life's challenging circumstances. Ruminating, it's, a, it's an interesting phrase. You might, might give it a Google search. Uh, ruminating takes place when we obsess on the why. We obsess, the keyword, obsess. We obsess on the problem. Um, ruminating happens uh, when we ruminate on what's wrong rather than a solution to figure out how to make this thing right. Uh, psychologists have found that suicides, depression, mental illness are resulting from people ruminating on all the wrong things. And uh, here, here's kind of what ruminating is. Like cows are ruminating animals. They have four chambers in their heart, and, or not in their heart, in, the, in their stomach. And so cows, like they're, they're out there grazing, right? <sighs> And they take a bite of grass, and they just keep chewing, right? And so they'll swallow it, and they hawk it back up in their mouth. They keep chewing. Over and over, if you see a cow, they're always chewing. And here's the principle. Here's the, here's the, here's the challenge. Sometimes we get like that with our problems, right? Like, like we, we take a bite of a problem, and we just keep chewing on it, and it just becomes a little bit nastier. 
a little bit nastier? I mean, that's nasty, right? My wife's giving me the death look right now. She's like, what are you doing, Tim? I'm just saying it's nasty. That's the point. The more you hawk it up, the more you chew on it, the nastier it becomes. The worse the situation gets. And it's this downward spiral. So here's the deal. we got to stop being cows. Turn to the person next to you and say, no, don't tell them that. Don't tell them to stop being a cow. That would not be... That would not be good. (laughs) Here is the solution, though. Here is the solution. It's surrender. Surrender. And and honestly, there's there's no human that we can fully trust, including ourselves. Uh, Trust is a firm belief in something that we know to be reliable. Only God is fully trustworthy. That's why it says this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the the Lord and the Lord only. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lead on your own understanding. In the midst of the situation, don't, don't try to figure this out on your own. Uh, trust in the Lord. Don't lead on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. If you're taking extra notes, you might want to write this down. Uh, trusting God is the only pathway to peace. Trusting God is the only pathway to peace. If you try to trust in someone else, something else, I'm just saying you'll be back. You'll be disappointed. God's the only one who is fully trustworthy. Surrender is this. Surrender is simply handing over the keys and saying, I'm not driving anymore. Saying, God, I'm going to step into the passenger seat. You, you can drive my life. Whatever you have for me, that's what I want. Wherever you want to take me, that's what I want to do. God, it's not my life anymore. You, you're driving. But if, if you're like my uh, three-year-old little girl, uh, sometimes as grown adults, we say, no, these are my keys. This is mine. No, Daddy, that's mine. Right? I, I'm that way. But surrender is saying, no, 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 no. These aren't my keys. These are your keys. Here's my life. All that I have, all that I am, all that I will ever be is yours. That's surrender. And let me just say this too, that, that's salvation as well. Sometimes if we've grown up in church, we've been around church for a long time, sometimes we can think salvation is actually jumping through a bunch of hoops and becoming a member of a church. That, that's not salvation. Salvation is trusting God with all that you have, all that you are, all that you'll ever be, surrendering the keys to him, saying, God, you're in control. Here's my life. You can have it. And when we surrender, we begin to experience um, the fifth stage. And this is an important stage. I'll be honest, it's not my favorite stage. Uh, Surrender is hard enough, but fifth stage is is tough, and that's sanctification. Sanctification. This is how God turns bad things into good things. Uh, This is a stage where my loss now becomes a lesson. God doesn't create pain. God doesn't create uh, problems. He's actually all good. He's he's incapable of doing bad. But but he, he is committed to this process of making you and I into the people he created us to be. He's kind of committed to that. And so he doesn't just redeem lives, but he'll redeem circumstances and situations. He'll use situations and circumstances to shape us into the men and women that he has created us to be. And so Romans 5, 3 through 4 says this. It says, we continue to shout our praises. Like Paul's starting to get fired up about this idea. He says, we continue to shout our praises even when we are hemmed in with trouble. Because we know how trouble can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. I love the way that's worded. The problem can develop us. Like like we're cranking up the heat. We want to be weapons in the hand of the king, right? We want to be sharp for him. Tempers steal of virtue, keeping us alert for what God has next. Some of us, we're like, God, create me to be who you want me to be. 
There used to be a, a, a song like Refiner's Fire, My Heart's One Desire is to be holy, and, and that's awesome. Uh, but, but what you're asking God to do in that moment is crank up the heat in your life to shape you, to mold you into who he wants you to be. Uh, James said this, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for <laughs> oh, Those two don't seem to go in the same sentence in my world. I don't know of anyone, I've never met a Christian who, who totals their brand new vehicle and say, well, praise God, he's working on me, right? Like that seems a little bit off, to put it mildly. But, but what the, the biblical writers are saying, it's actually in those moments when God is shaping you. It's actually in those, those are actually good moments because he's, he's expanding the borders of trust in your life. He's actually crafting you for a purpose and a plan. And this is kind of a perspectives message, isn't it? Like, I'm going to experience this. I know it's coming. But when I do, I want to have this perspective on it. And so 1 Peter uh, 1, 6 through 7 says this in the same vein. It says, uh, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you've had to endure many trials for a little while. That's key. It's just a little while. It's just a little while. It's not going to be this way forever. There is coming a day when he's going to make all things new. But for a little while... We're going to be shaped in the people he wants us to be. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Uh, it is being tested as fire purifies gold. And when you purify gold, right, like you heat up the gold, so the impurities come to the surface, and the, then the, the goldsmith scrapes off all the, the impurities. He says, though your faith is more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What's Peter saying there? Here's what I think he's saying. You might want to write this down if you're taking notes. My pain can either be a jail that imprisons me or a school that shapes me. My pain can either be a jail that imprisons me or it can be a school that shapes me. There's some lessons for us to learn in the midst of, of those seasons. And if you want your pain to shape you and not imprison you, then there is a sixth and final stage, and that is service. The sixth stage is, is service. This is how you use your pain for good. This is where God takes what you've been through to help others. Uh, God wants to use your mess-ups to be your message. God wants to take you through the season of testing as a testimony to his, his faithfulness. And so back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it reads this. In verses 3 through 7, it says, uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So, yeah, so we can comfort those. So it's not just about us. This is where our pain actually shifts. And in turn, we can comfort other people with it. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comforts. He's saying, hey, I, I, I've gone through some stuff. I've, I've experienced some pain, but it's actually for your comfort. He's saying, hey, you're going to experience some pain. You're going to experience some things that are distressful, but it's actually so you can comfort those around you. 
Here's what I think Paul's saying. You might want to write this down if you're taking extra notes. He says, uh, I think it could be summed up in this. There can be purpose in my pain if I'm willing to let God use it. That's true. That's true. There, There can be purpose in my pain if I'm willing to let God use it. God's in the redemptive business. He redeems lives. He redeems people. But he also redeems experiences. And he uses them to build his church. And that's a beautiful thing. So in summary land the plane with this. Uh, When we experience life's worst, we must make some choices. There's some choices that we can make. In the middle of it, if you're in the middle of it right now, you're not going to feel like it, but you need to make some decisions. We have some choices that we can make. And uh, the first stage is shock. Remember, when our world's falling apart, we're going to choose to run to God and run to God's people. Second stage is sorrow. When our heart's breaking, we're going to choose to worship and take hold of a rock that's higher than us. We're going we're gonna to find in Jesus' presence, there's, there's a soft place for that pain, pain to land. The third stage is struggle. When we don't understand, we're going to choose to focus on eternity rather than the temporary. This is just a little while. Just a little while. Fourth stage is surrender. We're going to choose to surrender when everything within us wants to cling to control. We want to say, these are my keys. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to drive this boat. I'm going to drive this ship. I I know where I'm going. I'm going to control this situation. Those are moments when we recognize that to say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I surrender. You drive. You're in control. You're a good God. You got our back. Trusting God is the only pathway to peace. Fifth stage is sanctification. Again, it's not a fun process, but it is part of the process. This is how God turns bad things into good things. And this is where I choose to let my pain serve as a school to shape me and not a jail to imprison me. Imagine how different our lives would look if we leveraged those seasons to help others. And that's where it comes in at stage six of service, how to use my pain for good. We're going to choose to recognize that there can be purpose in my pain if I'm willing to let God use it. This is a stage where you can choose to say with confidence and with conviction, I know all things are working together for good. All things are working together for my good because I love God. I love his church. I love his people. And somehow, someway, in the midst of the pain, someday, someway, he's going to use this to help those around me. So here's the big idea of the day. There's coming a day when God's going to make all things new. But from that moment... To this moment right here, right now, this is the last fill in the blank. I can't control what happens to me, but with God's help, I can choose my response. I can't control what happens to me, but with God's help, I'm going to choose how I respond. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We thank you, God, that when things in life seem to be spinning out of control, we can know with confidence Not because we feel it, but because we know who you are. That, God, you're working things together for our good. And whether we see it right here, right now, we know there's coming a day when you're going to make all things new. So, God, I pray you'd help us to cling to that hope. And, God, in a room this size, I recognize there are people struggling today. People who are in the midst of it. So, Jesus, I pray that you would come. You're the great counselor. Comfort them, I pray. God, bring them your peace in the midst of the storm. God, may you help them, give them wisdom, surround them with people to help them navigate. God, God, help us. 
We are your people. You're our Father. You are good. Help us to find the good in the midst of the challenge that we experience. In Jesus' name, amen.